0: Well, if you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, are going to talk about complete obedience this morning. What is obedience? Well, no doubt most of us in this room today would agree that obedience can be summed up in doing what you're told to do. Uh, we could gather all kinds of different definitions, but kind of generally speaking, we kind of all agree that it's kind of doing what you are told to do. Uh, for most all of us, that's a pretty simple concept to grasp, right? I mean, it's something we have all been grown up with. We were taught that from the time we were able to talk and walk and speak and so forth. Uh, it's something that we taught our children, our grandchildren. We're always taught to obey, and we always talk about actions, speaking louder than words, and this whole idea of obedience. Uh, in fact, most of us would even conclude that we ourselves are obedient people. Um, as Christians, we go to church, we help when called upon, we give a little bit to the offering and so forth. But overall, we're pretty obedient people. But are we? Uh, Are we obedient as we think we are? And so often we kind of treat Christianity and obedience as kind of like a smorgasbord. We go to a buffet and we'll do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Not so much of that, but a little bit more of this and so forth. And we kind of, even though we don't kind of set out to do this, even though we don't kind of think that we're doing this, but we kind of have those areas that we're really good at obeying, and those other areas that, well, that's kinda of, other people are better at that than I am. And so forth. So we kinda of have the idea that, well, we're overall we're pretty good. Overall, we're pretty obedient people. But there is what I like to call a life principle found in, in the Bible, in God's Word. Simply stated, obedience brings blessing, disobedience brings destruction. Let me say it one more time. This is a life principle, and what I mean by that. It is true from the time you are born to the time you die. And I truly believe with all my heart this is a principle that is taught throughout Scripture. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings destruction. And we're going to see one clear text of that today, but I'm going to allude to several others. But I believe that this is something that can be observed throughout Scripture. So if you would, uh, let's follow along as I begin reading in Luke chapter 6, verses 46-49. through 49. Verse 46, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard it and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which a stream did vehemently and immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And what we see here is this life principle that obedience brings blessing, disobedience brings destruction. Let's just take a moment and pray before we get into the message this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here. And Lord, we thank you for the word of God that can speak into our hearts, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, Lord, to teach us those things that we need to hear and understand. And Lord, I pray that if this is something new, Lord, might we grasp it with all of our heart. May we apply it, Lord, that we may be doers of the word, not hearers only. And Lord, if it's something that maybe we've heard in the past, Lord, Lord, may we not just, Lord, flippantly uh, have this idea that we've heard it before, but Lord, may we take it to heart once again, afresh and anew, Lord, to apply it to our lives. And we'll thank you for it. And in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. It's an amazing thing here that he says in verse 46, but why do you call me Lord, Lord? And then at first glance, you think, well, is that a typo? Or did he really mean to say it twice? He meant to say it twice because it's in there twice. But the idea is the very fact that he asked this question presupposes the fact that many people were not obeying. And so he's bringing this thing to their attention. Why are you calling me Lord? Not once, but twice, but you're not doing what I've asked you to do. See, it's one thing to say that I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a Christian, and it's another thing to say, well, I'm a follower of Christ, but, you know, I really don't take it that serious. Because I've heard people say that. Well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really get over, overly freakazoid, you know, really fundamental about it. Either are or you not. And it says by our actions, you know, by, our, by how we live that out, it really bears fruit as to whether or not we truly are a follower of Christ, right? So the reality is here, the very fact that he asks the question of something that they are claiming but they're not doing. And the word used for Lord here, the word "kurios," it means to he to whom a person belongs. He to whom a person belongs. In other words, Jesus here is kurios. he's Lord, and it means that we are owned by him. In fact, that's what God's word tells us, right, in 1 Corinthians, that we were bought with his own blood, so therefore we're to glorify God in our body and spirit, which are whose? His. So we uh, would fully admit that we belong to him. He's purchased us with his blood, but he's asking this question. If you're truly my child, and you truly have a relationship with me, and you claim to be a Christ child, a Christian, why aren't you doing the things that I'm saying? Or have we all come to that place, just little parts of our lives, where we kind of, once again, a little bit of buffet Christianity. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Not so much there, but a little bit more here. And we kind of pick and choose the areas of our Christian walk that we want to be obedient in. And so often, as we've heard it said before, and I don't know who coined the phrase, but you know, we have sins of omission and sins of commission. You know, we're pretty good at the sins of not, not, not being involved in the sins of commission. I mean, we never killed anybody. We never, like, you know... Uh, stolen from people. I mean, we're pretty good people. We don't do those things, right? That's what other people do. I don't walk around lying to everybody. I don't call them names. I'm not angry with anybody. I'm pretty good at not committing those sins, those sins of commission. But what about the sins of omission, the things that God said are to be in your life, but we've omitted them just kind of because they're not that big a deal. Do we really pray as we ought? Do we pray without ceasing? He said, that's something I want you to do. I want you to keep an open relationship, communication with me all the time. Do we do that? Or how about reading our Bible? You know, we're pretty good in the morning, might read our, you know, it's our duty, so we kind of get those couple words in, and we go, okay, did do it, check, mark, and got it off, we're good to go, right? Or what about giving? Do we give of our time, our talents, our treasures? Or we say, well, God understands my circumstance, so that's somebody else's problem, right? We kind of omit certain things from our lives that we know are supposed to be there. But it's okay, because we're still better than most people. We're obedient most of the time. But are we? So he's asking this question, if I'm truly your master, if you're truly my child, why aren't you doing the things that I'm saying? And he goes on and teaches this principle here. In fact, not so coincidentally, in Luke chapter 6 alone, Jesus gives several examples of Christian living that ought to be a part of our life of obedience. In fact, look at verse 27, same chapter, Luke Luke 6, verse 27. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Oh, do I really have to do that? I mean, I want to avoid so-and-so at all costs. I mean, if I see them in a grocery store, I'm going down another aisle just so I don't have to deal with them. Don't tell me you've never done that before. I'm telling you. Or there's just those people, they're drainers. And you see them, it's like, oh, Lord, please, please help them not see me. Because i got to go that way. They're coming this way. And, oh, they're not really your enemies, but they're not your best friends either. But he says, those who hear, love your enemies. Why would he say that? Because there are those who are not doing it. So he says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Really? Do I have to do that? Yeah, you do. You don't have to. You get to. You're told to do it. Right? So he says, pray for those who spitefully use you. Anybody ever been used before? Yeah. I think all of us, right? If you had a nickel for every person that used you. Right? The saying goes, why is he saying these things? Because there are those who are not doing it. Then he goes on, to him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. Go ahead. Oh, boom. That wasn't very good. Try it again on this side. No, that's not our nature, is it? Our nature is that when someone strikes, we want to strike back. The old phrase, I don't get even, I get ahead. But You're a pastor. You can't have that idea. Sure. To him who strikes you on the other, offer the other. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. You want me to give him my clothes? Why would he say this? Because there are those who are not doing it, right? Then he goes on, verse 30. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, do also likewise to them. So over and over, he's in this whole passage, he's talking about obedience brings blessing. But there are certain things that we just choose not to do in our Christian walk. It's either not convenient, we just may not want to do it, Maybe we have something better to do or so we think we do. So it goes on here in, uh, in, in all these passages. Uh, verse 32, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Anybody can love somebody who loves in return, right? That's easy. I can, it's really easy. You love me, I love you too, brother. Yeah, woo! We're good. Well, how about loving somebody who doesn't love you? That's a little more difficult, isn't it? It says, and if you lend those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners and receive as much back. But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the most high. Verse thirty seven, here's another one. So he says the love. Are we loving others as we ought to love? Do we love those even who are unlovely in our estimation? Let me just tell you, if you think you're lovable, I want you to be reminded of what God's word says, says all your righteousness are as what? Filthy rags. We're not as good as we think we are. But sometimes we have this idea that we're pretty good. Then he goes on about judging. Verse 37. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgiven, you will be forgiven. Given, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, and, and be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So why is he saying to do this? Because there are those who are not doing it they're not walking in obedience. They're not as obedient as they think they are. And then we go down to verse 43. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So what's in our heart? And then he comes back in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord? I've just spoken all these parables to you. I'm trying to teach you how you're supposed to live a life that is pleasing to me, Jesus. And why do you call me Lord and you're not doing the things that I'm saying? Could it be that sometimes we're not as obedient as we think we are? Even though we may be more obedient than this person or more obedient than that person... But the problem is that our point of comparison is not the other people around us, right? Our point of comparison is who? Jesus. That's who we're to compare our lives to. And let me just say, as a side note to that, sometimes if you meet somebody who says, "Well, I ain't going to church. You're full of hypocrites," right? And you're not one. We all are in some areas, right? We're not as perfect as we think we are. It's because we're too busy comparing ourselves with other people rather than comparing our lies with Jesus Christ. And so we need to get back to the point of comparison, which is Jesus. So getting back into these areas that we are called to observe, Jesus gives this life principle in verses 47 through 49. So we see, first of all, there are two types of people represented here in this life principle. And remember, there's one thing that binds them both together as being the same. They both heard what Jesus said. Both of these people heard what Jesus said. On the one hand, one heard and obeyed. The other one heard and did not obey. They both heard. One obeyed. One chose not to obey. So we see that in verses 47 and 49. It says, For whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. And then we see down in verse 49, But he who heard and did nothing is like the man. So we see that they're the same. They both heard. You know, here's the thing. We all come to church every week. We all listen to what's being said, and maybe we go home and we read God's Word and we pray and we we hear it. question is, why don't we always do what we know what we're supposed to do? Our sin nature gets in the way, our flesh gets in the way, our motives get in the way, all kinds of excuses. But this is what it comes down to, hearing and obeying or hearing and not obeying. So two different, very different results one enjoyed God's blessing. And we see that in verse 48. It says, verse 47, first of all, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. So here's the idea behind the first man. He heard exactly what Jesus said, and he chose to obey what Jesus said. Here's what it's like. Here's a man who's building a house and he's building it on the rock. He's laying the foundation. He's digging. He's putting it down there. He's, he's, he's anchoring those roots deep. And this house is standing strong. And notice both the man who heard and obeyed and the man who heard and did not obey, both of them endured the same storm. What's that tell us? No one is void of storms in life, right? No one is not going to go through them. We're all going to face difficulty. We're all going to face trial. We're all going to face things that we don't want to face. We're all going to go through times of disappointment and frustration and anxiety and all these things. Whether you think you're not or not is irrelevant. You're going to go through them. It's just a matter of when. And oftentimes, I think it's a matter of what you learn from it, whether or not you keep going through it. But for the story purpose... One enjoyed God's blessing because when the strain, when the rains came and the floods came, what happened to the house stood firm, stood firm, the storm didn't break it down, the floods didn't wash it away. the foundation was strong and this is the man who hears what Jesus says and chooses to obey that. Then the other man has a very different result in verse forty nine But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. It says, and the ruin of that house was great. So we see a very different result. This is a man who also heard what Jesus said, but he chose to do it the easy way. He chose not to build a foundation, not to dig deep, not to do what Jesus said. And the same storm that the first man built and went through his house was destroyed and it says the ruin of that house was great i don't know about you but i think there's a real real principle found in this verse that i would rather obey and experience god's blessing than disobey and experience the destruction well what do you want i think we all want the blessing right but see we want the blessings of god without complete obedience to god and it doesn't work that way God wants and expects complete obedience. You see, sometimes we kind of see this in our own children. i don't know about your children, but my children were perfect. Um, oh wait, man, I meant to say that other round. Your children were perfect, mine were not. I don't know. Either way, um, <clears throat> but when we tell our kids to do something, do we want to just do a half? I mean, if there's two bags of trash that need to go, I mean, are you okay with just bringing one out? I mean, when you tell them to clean the room and you know the beds are made are, are unmade and. There's clothes all over the floor and there's books all over. I mean, it's just a complete mess. You tell them to clean the room. Are you okay if they just pick up the clothes but don't make the bed? Is half good? Anybody happy with half? No. When you tell your kids to do something, you expect what? Complete obedience. But why is that any different from what we would expect Jesus to expect of us? Hey, I want you to go to church, I want you to be a part of the body. I want you to be an active party. I don't want you to just be a, a spectator. I don't want you to be a participant. I, I don't want you just to watch from the outside. I don't want you to get involved. I don't want you just to show up and you know hear the stories of what God's doing in those, the, these people's lives. I want, I want you to experience my, my you know me in your life. Jesus says, but we're okay with just being spectators and occasionally jumping in where it's convenient. See, that's just partial obedience. In fact, Dr. Ola used to say in college, he says, obedience is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. You know, let me ask you a question, parents. When you tell your child to, to make their bed or to take out the trash, and is <laughs> that just to bring joy to your heart because they did it? Right? Praise God, my child took out the trash. Oh, do I don't have to do it. I not want to make so much of it. I always have to do it. Does that bring joy to your heart? No. What makes us thing, it brings joy to God's heart when he tells us to do it, and we do it reluctantly or half-heartedly. So truly, obedience is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with a right heart attitude. And that's what God expects of us. Partial obedience doesn't bring God's full blessing. So we need to understand that. So both of them heard what God expected through Jesus. One chose to obey, one chose to disobey. One, because of his obedience, he experienced a blessing through the storm. His house stood firm. The other one, because he chose to disobey, the ruin of his house was great. Destruction came. And we see this all throughout scriptures. Let me just give you a couple of examples of this as we, as we go through scripture. In fact, let's look at the very beginning of the Bible in the life of Adam. What if Adam and Eve had obeyed and not eaten the fruit? Can you imagine that? I mean, it, In fact, turn your Bibles back there to Genesis uh, uh, chapter 3. Let's just imagine for a moment in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve chose to obey rather than to disobey. In verse 16, he says this. To the woman, he said, this is after she disobeyed and ate of the fruit. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children." Praise God. Thank you, Eve. Right, women? Because of you, Eve, this is hurt. No. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Oh, thanks. Because of, I, because of my sin, I have to obey my husband. Way to go, Eve. God's design. now. Then he said, Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it. From now on, you're going to have to deal with thorns and thistles and weeds, and yeah, it's going to break your back doing all that work. Thanks, Adam. But, you know, it's humorous, but at the same time, what if they would have chosen to obey? It would have brought God's blessing throughout eternity, right? What about in Genesis chapter 19? Turn over to Genesis chapter 19, just for a moment. You're going to see this principle throughout God's word. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings destruction. In Genesis chapter 19, and begin with verse, verse 17. I don't know that I'll read it all, but I'll read some of it. You know the story. Here's where Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. In verse 17 it says, So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Is there any clearer than that? Get out of here and do it now? I mean, if you go back and stay here, you're going to be destroyed. I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? But, then Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords, indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. So he's worried about obeying God and what's going to happen if if he does obey. Just let me just say this. If you obey God, it's within his best interest to bless you. He's not going to curse you for obeying. And he's thinking about if I go, God, if I do what you tell me to do, I'm going to die. Well, trust me. If you're going to do what God tells you to do and you die, it's because he wants you to. God's a sovereign God. He can do whatever he wants, right? We know that. But we have this fear of obedience. But what we find out in the life of Lot's wife is that she chose to look back in fact if you study out the text it wasn't the idea that hey we're getting out of Dodge here Sodom and Gomorrah is getting ready to get blown up and and get blown away and and it's going to be consumed and burned up it wasn't the idea that oh good luck on them it's the concept that Lot and his wife left the perimeter of the town and she did not want to leave it And she chose to go back a certain distance to make sure that she could still see it. It wasn't just a look over the shoulder. She made a conscious decision to go back and look at it one more time. And what does God's word say happened? She turned to a pillar of salt. What if she had just obeyed? She would experience God's blessing and she would have gone on to live and to watch her children grow and to be with her husband and to enjoy the life that God had for them. But she chose to disobey, and it brought her destruction. Uh, in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. You know the story. Twelve men went to spy on Canaan, ten were bad, two were good, right? We all know the story and the song and everything. But what if they would have just chose to obey? What would have been the blessings of their obedience God said, send 12 men into the land. I want you to spy it out. We looked at this last Sunday night for a few moments. But go into the land. I want you to observe everything about it. I want you to look at the land and see whether it's fertile or not. I want you to see the, the gates of the city. Is it a fortified city? Is there good, strong dwelling places here? Look at the people. Look at the fruit of the, of the ground here. And what did they find? Oh, man, this is a great place. This is a land that flows with milk and honey. This is, a, this is a place where the grapes are so monstrously huge that they would put them on a, on a staff and they would carry them between two men. I mean, it was just, I mean, they looked at everything and said, Man, this place is awesome. But nonetheless, what was the nonetheless? There are giants in the land. Did it really matter that there were giants in the land? No. Because right away in Genesis or I mean in numbers chapter 14, it says, "Go spy out the land that I am what giving you. It's already yours. Go check it out, guys. Woo! Can you imagine? I know this cannot compare. It's not on the same level. It's not on the same excitement le- plane here, but it's like when you get home and, and, and somebody walks in the house and said, "Hey, someone's got a new car. Where is it? You want to go out and see it, right?" He says, "Go check out what I'm giving you." They went and checked it out. That part of obedience was really good. I mean, really easy. They went and they saw it and it was awesome. Man, I've never seen fruit like this. The, the, man, this ground is fertile. I mean, this place is incredible. This is the best land we've seen in a long time. This is really great. But there's giants. So it was partial obedience, right? They obeyed the first part because it was really easy to see. We could see all these good things. We obeyed God. We went and did exactly what he said. We went and checked it out. It was good. But they didn't completely obey because they chose not to go into the land. So they missed God's blessing and ended up walking in the wilderness for how long? What? Forty years. Isn't that amazing? We'll walking in circles for 40 years and it looks like we're covering new territory. They missed the blessing. Because they chose not to obey. And they experienced the destruction. Let's look at another one. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Here's another familiar one. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, God was very clear on on the instructions that he gave to Saul. In fact, in the beginning, he says, I want you to go in and destroy the Amalekites. I want you to kill everything and everyone. You say, well, that sounds terrible. That's horribly wrong. But you have to understand, they were enemies of God, and God said, I want them destroyed. So Saul goes in there, and he destroys almost everything and almost everyone. And Samuel comes by and he says, what's the meaning of the bleeding of the sheep in my ear that I hear? I mean, did you not get the instruction sheet? Did you not get the memo? Did you not get this text message that said destroy everything? You didn't get the email. Well, I, 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 I. And he begins to do what we all do so often. Justify, rationalize, excuse. Sounds so good, right? I mean... I almost did it all. I did most of it. I mean, I did 85% of it. I mean, you understand this, Samuel. I almost destroyed everything. But God said destroy everything, not just some things. And Samuel begins to rebuke Saul. Look down at 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, where he begins to justify and rationalize. He says, but the people took the plunder. Saul says, I know I'm the leader, but the people did what they wanted to do. It's really not my fault. It's theirs. They, they, they saw the nice sheep. They saw some nice things and they decided to keep some of it. And so the bottom line is, it's really not my fault, Saul. You have to, I mean, Samuel, you have to understand that, you know, we did most of it. So is God, once again, happy with partial obedience He says, but the people took the plunder, the sheep and the oxen, and the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. He says, not only Are we keeping some of it? We're keeping it for God, saw Samuel. I mean, we're going to give it back to him. Right? It's still disobedience because partial obedience is still complete disobedience. So he says to Samuel, verse 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. He says, I don't care that you kept the best of the sheep and the oxen. I don't care that you are going to give them back. The bottom line is, you are to destroy everything and you did not do it. He said, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed then the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Imagine just for a moment that if he had chosen to obey, he would experience God's blessing. But instead, he was removed from being king because he chose to be only partially obedient. I wonder how many times in our lives, and I have to ask myself this question often, am I completely obedient? It's really good to give the impression that you are, right? I mean, because you're a pastor. You have to be obedient, right? Well, so are you. You're a deacon. You're a Sunday school teacher. You're a parent who claims to know Christ. Are you obedient? Oh, it's all of us, right? Because we're good at justifying and rationalizing and excusing why we just did this much or this amount or this area. And it's as if God is telling us to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't care what it looks like on the outward. I'm concerned about your heart. Are you completely obedient? Are you doing what I ask you to do? Are you being who I want you to be? Are you walking in fellowship with me? And we have to ask ourselves, what is our motive for our obedience? There are numerous throughout Scripture. Let me just give you three or four. What should be our motivation In John chapter 14, you don't need to turn there. It's a very simple verse. But in John chapter 14, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. So what is the motivation of our obedience? Our love for him. And 1 John 4 asks us, why do we love him? Because he what? First loved us. In fact, with that love that he's loved us, we're to turn that around and say, Because you love us. And if I say that I love you, I'm going to walk in complete obedience with you. That's great motivation. And in 1 John chapter 5, Uh, verses 2 and 3 it says this by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commands for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome he says the things that I'm asking of you the things that I want you to do in your in your walk with me they're not burdensome I'm not asking too much of you he's saying In fact, if you look at Romans chapter 12, which we're not, but Romans chapter 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your what? Reasonable service or form of worship. He says, because of what I've done for you, the least that you can do is serve me and love me and obey me and walk with me. So what is our motivation to obey? First of all, it's our love. If we say that we love him, we ought to be walking in obedience with him. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, gives us another idea of motivation behind our obedience. And depending on which translation you have, it will say one of two things. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and verse 13, it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. In some of your translations, for this is the duty of man. If for no other reason, God says, I want you to do it. He said, this is your duty. This is your obligation. In, spite of, or in reference to what I've done for you, this is what I could, should, could and should expect from you. It's your duty. In fact, in this New King James, it says, it's man's all. All of life can be summed up by this. Obey me and fear me. Are we doing that? In Genesis chapter 22, and verse 18, it gives us a third one. And once again, there are passages all throughout the entire Bible of these motivations, and not only motivations, but the examples of these life principles. In Genesis chapter 22, and verse 18, we see an example from the life of Abraham. Now, remember Abraham? Go to a land that I'll show you. What's that all about? I mean, I... Uh, God, you do—you you certainly understand that. I really don't understand what you're saying here, right? I mean, you do get that. You tell me to go somewhere. I don't know where to—where somewhere, right? You said just go. I'll guide you. I'll direct you. I'll let you know when you arrive. Just go to the land that I'm directing you to. Abraham could, at that moment, say, "Uh-uh, not doing that." Then comes this other little scenario where he has to sacrifice. I don't know about you, but I think that would be a little bit difficult. I can't fathom that. And there's a choice to make. Do I want to obey or not obey? He chose to obey. But look down verse 18. Here's the result of it. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed my voice. Wow, what a blessing. What should be our motivation? God's blessing. I want God's blessing. Do you? I don't want to just exist. I don't want to just get up in the morning, take a shower, get dressed, and do life. I want to do life with purpose. And that purpose has to include living completely and sold out for Jesus Christ. I want His blessing. Let me give you one more and we'll close. Exodus chapter 19. Genesis, Exodus, right away in the beginning of the Bible there. Genesis chapter 19. I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 19. He says this. And there's a word in this that is really a hard word. It's a big two-letter word, if. Look at verse, eight, verse 5. It says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. He said, of all the people of the earth, if you obey me and my voice. Wow, isn't that crazy awesome? He says, you're going to be a special treasure unto me. Hey, guys. I don't know how honest you want to be at the moment here, but can you imagine when you were little kids, you had that special little treasure? That, I mean, you had 400 Matchbox cars and Hot Wheel cars, but there was that one that was really cool. You had all these knives, but this is the one cool knife. And what did you do with it? You treasured it. Anybody have anything like that? Man, I had all kinds of those things. I had little hiding spots. Remember Pippi Longstocking? She had the like the hole in the tree that she put everything in. That was my favorite, I know. That's bad. But I always thought it was cool. She had her little treasure. Don't be laughing at me, because you know, yeah, you got your own. No. You imagine this little hole in the tree and she hid everything in her stocking and it's like, nobody knows about it but me. It's my special treasure. God says, if you obey my voice, listen to me, do what I say, because you're going to be special above everybody in the entire earth. You're my special treasure. How cool is that? That we have the opportunity to, to be God's special treasure. That's awesome. Luke chapter 11, verse 28. But he said, more than that. More than what? Verse 27, And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. He says, Man, thank you for the life of children. And verse 20 says, But more than that, more than life itself, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. What's he saying here? When we walk in obedience, you will experience God's blessing like none other. How awesome is that! And we take it flippantly, and sometimes we wonder well, why do, I just don't see God working in my life. I just don't see where His hand is at work. I just don't, you know. I read the Bible, I don't get anything out of it. And, you know, all these things that we hear over the years. If anybody's grown up in church, you've heard some of these phrases. Oh, I just don't, I just don't sense God. I just don't see anything in His Word. He's not speaking to me. He's just, I'm not sure if His presence is really there. Blah 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 blah. We all have heard it a million times. And we come back, are we? this question. Are we walking in a complete obedience or partial obedience? Because we see example after example that when we just give God partial obedience, we're saying, don't worry about the blessing. Yeah, I'm good enough. I can just truly say for all of us, none of us are good enough. I want God's blessing. I want to be a special treasure to Jesus Christ. And that only comes from complete obedience. So when we look at our own lives and we kind of are honest about how we're living, the question is, are we walking in complete obedience? Or are we treating it as a smorgasbord or a uh, buffet of Christianity? Go to church, yeah, okay, great. Give once in a while, wonderful. Work projects? Nah, not so much. I'm busy. Eh, someone else will do that. Praying and reading Bible? Well, you know, God understands. i got a lot of little kids. Or i got a lot of, you know, working overtime. I mean, I, I, you, know, you wonder, you know, which excuses are justifiable to God? Which ones are the good ones? Because I want to know what they are. I want to use them. None of them. Because it still comes down to, do we want God's blessing? Or are we satisfied with the way things are? can't have the blessing without the obedience. And if we aren't going to choose to obey, we can expect destruction in areas of our life. It's that simple. What do you want? Let's pray.